Hello, friends. Day 42. Bar is closed. So I feel like I'm ringing the bell here today. 42 days feels kind of like one of those ding, ding, you made it across some some kind of finish line. Preston's here with me again for another day on the show. Howdy. Hey. You know, I have all these like, and we've been talking about all this philosophical stuff. Who was the guy that I just mentioned the other day that drove me crazy that I didn't know about the Greek? Pythagoras. Pythagoras. I mean, unbelievable. And so it was kind of this constant conversation around that people have been seeking truth and somehow universal truth and conscious, you know, awareness about what the human existence means for quite some time. Forever. It's like forever, right? It's like not a new conversation. And I was saying in one of my previous episodes, like there's, I knew there was so much I didn't know. And I often would say I admit to knowing nothing. And I meant that more so from my, my belief systems weren't so rigid, but as I continually kind of slow down enough in my life to pay any kind of attention, I realize how much I really don't know. It's endless. Endless library of infinite. Enough books that they're falling apart at the seams. So I'm going to read something that my dear friend Sue has shared with me several times in life. And, you know, it's kind of this meaning of life conversations, if you will, because that's really where I'm at right now. And especially on like day 42, you got under 20 days to to go for me on this 60-day sobriety trip. And as I've invited anybody else on the road, you know, pick your own 15 days, 5 days, 30 days, 60 days, whatever it is. Mine was 60 because I knew myself enough to know that. Why was it 60? Well, the first time I was just thinking, I just picked a number that felt like it was out of my reach. 30 days seemed like something that I was stubborn enough to pull off, but 60 days seemed like that with the level of commitment that I had to, to booze in, that was going to be hard. And so this time I just kind of figured, let me enjoy the same, because it is a long time not to drink. And I love drinking. Even today, like I was thinking to myself, wow, I've just gotten some things really done. I'm really in place. I'm really loving. I got some time on my hands. I'm feeling inspired. got outcast blasting. And I'm like, I want to fucking booze it up a little bit. This is like the moment I want to have some drinks. I want to. But it's the Dionysian in you. And when I ring the bell, I realize that I mean, like, I'm ready to clock out. I'm ready to, like, put sobriety on the coat hanger and kind of enjoy some lubrication and just celebrate my time off, so to speak. It was kind of my exodus from my responsibilities so often, right? But then, you know, again, as I recap and think, okay, well, you don't get to do that. That's the constant reminder. This is a self-control thing of, oh, well, that's great. Accept your emotions and feelings on that, but then move on. You're not going to do that tonight. So here we are in the office, and, and again, the meaning of life seems to be of interest to me now. So let me read this. This is the prologue from, oh, man, I hope Sue's not listening, because if I don't do my homework and say his name right, I'm just going to do it. The prologue of Bertrand Russell, and this is a prologue to his autobiography. You'll have to look him up, but he's obviously a person who's lived an extraordinary life and has been highly invested in the human experience. And so, Isn't he an American philosopher? I'm going to let everybody else look it up because I'm, I'm not going to bastardize it. So, what I have lived for. Three passions, simple but overwhelmingly strong, have governed my life. The longing for love, the search for knowledge, and the unbearable pity for the suffering of mankind. These passions, like great winds, have blown me hither and there in a wayward course over a great ocean of anguish, reaching to the very verge of despair. I have sought love first because it's br it brings ecstasy. Ecstasy so great that I would often have sacrificed all the rest of my life for a few hours of this joy. I have sought it next because it relieves loneliness. 
that terrible loneliness in which one shivering consciousness looks over the rim of the world into the cold, unfathomable, lifeless abyss. I have sought it finally because in the union of love I have seen in a mystic miniature the prefiguring vision of the heaven that saints and poets have imagined. This is what I sought, and though it might seem too good for human life, this is what, at last, I have found. With equal passion I have sought knowledge. I have wished to understand the hearts of men. I have wished to know why the stars shine, and I have tried to apprehend Pythagorean power by which number holds sway above the flux. A little of this, but not much, I have achieved. Love and knowledge, so far as they were possible, led upward toward the heavens, but always pity brought me back to earth. Echoes of cries of pain reverberate in my heart. Children in famine and victims tortured by oppressors. Helpless old people, a burden to their sons. And the whole world of loneliness, poverty, and pain make a mockery of what human life should be. I long to alleviate this evil, but I cannot, and I too suffer. This has been my life, and I have found it worth living, and would gladly live it again if the chance were offered me. So that's me not reading it for the first time, or reading it for the first time, and not trying to memorize it, and throwing it out there. I did not even read it. The Pythagorean theory was in there, so that's, it's a good sync. Isn't it a good sync? And then you guys to hear some, you know, almost, you know, studio stumbling, can't edit any of that out, dogs slurping in the background. Those of you who have any following of Tahoe, he has got his first day at the office. We talked about this back in the day, so he is here now in the office, first night. It's pretty amazing. He's enjoying it. He's enjoying it. Riff on this with me for a minute. The finale is something I've always said to people who are going through hard things. I view life as worth living no matter how terrible it is. It's better than non-being. But to riff on that a little bit, our language is one where we use the vocabulary of the living to analyze everything around us. So when we're talking about mortality and death, we're really talking about it as like a stranger or a form of gossip because it's not something that we know all of the context of our, you know, our life is the living. So it's strange to me that death is this thing we think we know anything about and it causes us so much anguish. We don't know what it is at all because we only know life. Well, I mean, my version of that death is like dying daily, right? Like I always feel like I was pretty fearless about like growing up. I didn't really, I haven't had much fear about like death from here on earth, but it's like the living dying is what has always petrified me. And actually, I was actually thinking of that a little bit myself is today in a moment of kind of watching the, the right light and the snowy day, blue skies, feeling kind of upbeat. And I was remembering that I've had many, many of a conversation of saying I want to die kind of quietly in the background of like some kind of self-biography was saying in a way like suffering has been something I've wanted to know well, it seems. And I've talked myself into it for many years, even subtly. And so at some point I made a decision that it was okay to think about checking out. A philosopher I find very interesting is a man named Emil Turan. He was a Romanian. They jokingly called him the cynic on duty after Nietzsche doesn't exist anymore. Right? <laughs> okay. He had some interesting points about suicide that always stuck with me. And number one is it's always too late. It's not preventative medicine. And then number two, he thought that it was a great privilege 
and one of the huge markers of being human was the ability to terminate your life at your discretion. And I always found that very interesting. You know, he's like, the real hell is being in a condition where you're not autonomous enough to even exercise that right. Well, and that brings up the complexities. Like, you know, I had a friend, a couple of dear close friends of mine who took their lives, and I don't try to make any kind of assessment of what happens to their soul or spirit after, right? You know, I'm not going to, even in being reborn as a Christian, I still don't, I don't have any kind of personal evidence that anything bad happens to them. But, you know, I know that my one friend, Michael, who he came to me to tell me he was going to do this, and he was very firm about this was his choice, and, that, and he was sharing with me this samurai book about the you know, honor and dignity of, of suicide. And that this was something that had been going on since the beginning of humankind, kind of like what you're saying, and that we have our right. And What is like real jailing? It's when they remove all the abilities to do that. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, are you really in, you're right. are you really wow. in prison otherwise? Wow. And then the state wants to exercise that right, and you don't have it. Wow, that is a complete... You're right. Well, that's the last freedom one could really imagine having is their choice of their own life. Wow. And then, you know, we talk about this afterlife stuff too. A lot of the branding that comes around this is kind of this, you know, the gods of wine. Dionysus. Dionysus. So what do you think about the fact that there is that kind of, I don't know, acknowledgement and recognition of the spirit of spirits? I think you had your Apollonian morning, right? You were very organized and productive and it was a bright day and Apollo's associated with the sun a little bit. And then and then you said you want to ring the bell, and I think that's that Dionysian quality. I see it in my children where, and I remember it as a child, where you just want to like spin around to disorient yourself, right? Right, right. Because sometimes awareness feels like a burden, and so I think that's where we want to check out. I can imagine kids like spinning in circles, you know, at the like, you know, outdoor pops concerts in a, you know, county fair or something and just wanting to get dizzy and fall yeah, on the ground. Fall. It's a strange, what's that, Will? Right. <laughs> that makes me think of the, the National Geographic. I always loved watching so much like the animals who take psychedelics and like the monkeys <laughs> who like would take these berries and they would know that it was going to make them like yeah. you know, go crazy and then they'd fall out of the tree. And <laughs> I like there's, there's some root that I believe bonobos or chimps really like and it appears to be psychedelic with them but if they see it they immediately uh, look at the ground and act like they're doing something else yeah because they don't want the other ones to have it that's hilarious <laughs> uh, so altered states and that was actually the name of the movie i was telling you about will william hurt to watch altered states right let's kind of finish on that your thoughts on altered states all the way around <sighs> i saw the movie a long time ago altered states though i've always had a drive to them i had this argument as a freshman undergraduate in a philosophy program with the empiricists all the time where they're you know they're very attached to material phenomena and think that consciousness arises as kind of an epiphenomena of the chemical interactions in our brain and the biological processes but i always said you know look if that's your take then uh really what you're suggesting is that everything we ingest has this psychedelic quality it alters perception and really your altered states, you know, it's your willingness, how far are you willing to push that out? Because even at the end of the day, consuming, you know, obscure, dense theological literature or even fiction, it's tripping. And you're even, you know, if you really get into fiction, you become one of those book nerds like that. You know, people treat you just like they treat the hippie who might have burnt out. Yeah, right? Wow. All right, well, you heard it here first. 
thanks everybody for <laughs> you know, joining I, us. I don't think we stayed on the tangent of the the prologue. Oh, but should we? Let's stay on that. It was good. I feel his human, his humanness in it. You know, yeah. He really. Me too. He's here. I like that he he likes the existential angst that comes with being human. You know, and I'm sure it took a lifetime to get there because it's hard on you. Right. Yeah. That's what's this materialistic and consumer bend to the people have. It's really just, it's a type of checkout because it lets you not deal with that. I think that's really what I was kind of scratching at in this whole episode was that version of like, what is checkout versus what isn't checkout, right? What is being very acutely aware of the human condition you experience in it versus what is, what are the ways in, that we really try to check out and want to check out. Checkout is, has been booze sometimes. Right. Yeah. I mean, definitely. Music lets me check out in a positive way. Exactly. That's when I'm trying to find replacements to check out. Like I'm totally acknowledging that I'm still going to want to check out. I'm still going to want to. And I think also for the range that I talk about, I really think I need to switch it up a bit. Maybe and, those Sufi mystics are onto something with these, the spinning around this, the dancing dervishes, right? Maybe that's what's going on. Right. Exactly. I think so. I mean, I'm ready for a renaissance like that. I mean, I'm shit. I'm open crystal balls and freaking ring tones and <laughs> that's spinning the, around. That's and, the funniest checkout that's been making a comeback is crystals. Isn't it? Yeah. 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 People I would never imagine freshman, sophomore girls in college who are studying nursing. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's a personal reference to my lady sister, but yeah, it's really funny. I love it. Yeah. We told her she should be a geologist. That's how much she seems to be loving the crystals. Yeah. I'm seeing them out, you know, on full moons with all kinds of people talking about getting their, their, their full moon juice back up in their crystals. I like uranium. Uranium. <laughs> <laughs> Why? I think we're about to end the age of radio frequency as our dominant communication tool. Okay. Uh, it was demonstrated that you could transmit data via neutrinos, and that makes it so there would be no dead spots for calls. Mm. You could be in a mine um, five miles underneath the ground and you would be able to get a telephone call. Wow, okay. And they need things like uranium. And I also think we're on this Promethean edge of energy development where people have really demonized nuclear power, but we're right at the edge of being able to do it a very ecological way where we don't have to store things indefinitely. You're into that. Yeah, yeah I'm... You're for that or pro that. Yeah. When I observe history, I see it as a bunch of Promethean revolutions, you know, with energy where, you know, we discover fire. If we didn't move past our knowledge of burning wood, we probably would have clear cut a lot of the world. You know, we found coal. We would, places like London used to be substantially more, have substantially more air pollution than they do now, you know, like a, a black haze over their cities. And then, you know, we find hydro and nuclear and, all, you know, we just keep going. And it's scary when we find a new power. Like, imagine the first shaman showing he can make fire on demand. I'm not sure it necessarily went over very well. <laughs> right, right, right. People were like, wait a minute, this could create chaos and havoc and burn us all down. Who's going to control this? I always have faith in humanity. We do incredible things. Our dietary system, you know, we can eat almost everything. Dogs won't even eat most of the thing. A lot of things we like to eat. My dog rejects all kinds of stuff I offer her. It seemed she's like, this is not food. So you're saying being human is way cool. 
Right. I, I love it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're we're so unique, in my opinion. We we do seem like alien, and we have this yearning that makes us feel like this is in our place, and we haven't seen that in other species. Well, how would we know? What if we, what if whales are feeling that way? Whales might be feeling that way. We've had that discussion a little bit, you right? Know? Yeah. And dolphins. Tom C. or you know John C. Lilly. Mm. Okay, everybody, John C. Lilly. We'll wrap it up with the concert we went to that was on the show. At one point, we went and saw Silverman and, and Featureman. Yeah, right? that was great. As somebody who loves music, what was your vibe on that? It was what I needed. You know, being in a auditorium with almost no one else, with two amazing musicians, one with homemade digital drum kit and the vibes they were putting out. You know, that what was the the Big Sur one. Oh my God, that was so beautiful, that composed piece. I felt like I was in California on the ocean when I'd close my eyes. Yeah, you know? and I was here in the Orient coming over in the breeze. I was totally sober there. That was an escape. Right, that was another one of those. Another healthy escape. Cool, we'll keep doing this. Pressing in less, less words for everybody. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to the show. You've actually listened to some episodes. Yeah, I've been listening. I, I enjoy listening to the show. I mean... It's good because you're really sharing. You're there and it's intimate. And we're in the same office and we're talking every day about all kinds of stuff. And even your shows feel almost more personable and personal than those conversations. Oh, wow. Because you're getting into it. You're finding this space and you're having this dialogue and it's you. There's none of the, the social, the way we, our brains just check us whether we're conscious of right. or not when we're speaking talking about what we like to talk about or what we don't like to talk about right nice thanks for sharing all right good night all thanks